0: Hello everyone. This is Coffee Chug. Made, if you know me, by Aaron Maurer. And this is Coffee Chug's Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast episode number seven. And I hope that you are here, ready to be challenged, push your boundaries as an educational teacher or administrator, parent, community member. And I have an episode here today that's really going to rock you um, in many, many ways. So. What the goal of episode 7 is today is to help you and prevent you from dying full. I had the great privilege and opportunity to speak with the author Todd Henry. He is the author of the book Accidental Creative and his newest release, Die Empty, which has just got on the Winds of Honors with Amazon as being one of the best business books of the year. You can find Todd Henry's work at ToddHenry.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Todd Henry. He also has a website, theaccidentalcreative.com, and on all those sites, you can find everything you need about Todd Henry, and the books and material, and the information that he's sharing, because it really is top-notch. In this particular episode, I had some time to speak with Todd about some of the content and information in his book, Die Empty, Unleash Your Best Work Every Day. This is a book where I could have easily have spent three or four hours talking with him and asking many questions about the content that he shares, but I highlight on a key few points that really stood out to me that I think can apply in education no matter what you do, and not only education, but life in general. All the information will be down in the show notes. So if you want to find links to the book, his website, Twitter, Facebook, I will leave all that in the show notes. As always, I would love to hear from you. Engage with me in terms of information that you have, questions you'd like to ask, maybe future podcast information. And last but not least, I will also leave in the show notes an opportunity to sign up for my newsletter, which is a weekly dose of caffeine pushed out every Saturday morning sharing with you books I'm reading, things I'm thinking about, and ideas being developed. Without further ado, I'd like to cut right to the information and the interview I had with the author, Todd Henry. I can't thank him enough for taking time out of his day to speak with me. It truly was an honor, and I surely guarantee that you are going to love this interview. I look forward to hearing from you, hearing your comments, your feedback, questions, and concerns. You leave that on iTunes, on the blog, or any other platform that you'd like to reach out to me. And without further ado, let's rock and roll, get into the theme song, and listen to the interview with Todd Henry. Thanks, everybody. Here we go. Thank you for joining us on the Edge of Chaos. Chaos.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Maures. Chaos. Chaos. Chaos.
0: Chaos, chaos,
2: chaos,
0: chaos, chaos. 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 Living on the edge of chaos with coffee chugs
2: Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning Chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs Talking education all across the nation Pushing boundaries, thinking innovation Aaron Mawa, outside the box thinker Here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker Living on the edge of chaos, going insane Listening to coffee chugs that like caffeine for the brain One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born Here to show the world that there's more here than corn Living on the edge of chaos. Chaos, living on the edge of chaos. Chaos, living on the edge of chaos. 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 chaos.
1: chaos. chaos. Coffee chugs. Coffee chugs. Coffee
2: chugs. Chug. Coffee chugs. Chug.
1: Coffee chugs. Coffee oh, chugs. I am a uh huge fan of your work. I came across Accidental Creative um in September actually, and then I hmm. I pre-ordered die empty and since then I just absorb all of your work and I the things that I read when I read books like this like yours is I always try to look at it in terms of like an education approach either with education system or with students in, in general sure. and one of the things that really stood out in die empty to me was uh, early on in the book you you ha- you have a couple of passages on mediocrity or being mediocre. Right. And I was really intrigued by that because one of the things that you state in the book that I guess I didn't think about is that uh, media to be mediocre isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I guess I look at it in terms of my philosophy when I coach and and do different things. And I always preach mediocre isn't okay. You know, you should right. always do sure. much more. And I know that's you also talk about that's not what we should should strive on. Right. But you talk a little bit about how that just kind of naturally happens. Um, when you get to that place of of mediocrity. And I guess you give a lot of different suggestions and stuff in your book, but when when dealing with kids and and things like that, how do we help people to understand how to challenge themselves to not settle for mediocrity so they don't just gradually fall down that path, you know, or all of a sudden they realize, oh, here's, here's where I'm at. I wish I would have done something different.
2: Sure, yeah. Well, I, th- I think the most important thing to recognize is, number one, mediocrity is a data point, right? Um, everybody's going to be mediocre at some point in what they do. I mean, nobody comes out of the womb ready to tackle any challenge that's going to cross their path, right? So at some point, if you're doing something that's worth doing, you're going to experience mediocrity because you're going to come up against friction, barriers, and you're going to have to figure out how to navigate around those. And so I, what, I, what I wanted to do in the book is communicate, listen, mediocrity as a data point is not a bad thing mediocrity as a lifestyle is a suffocating thing that will eventually lead to your demise right as a, as a human yeah. being because we're not wired to settle we're not wired to be in that place of mediocrity long term so that's why for me when i say mediocrity isn't necessarily bad what i'm saying is just because you find yourself experiencing mediocrity doesn't mean all hope is lost. What it means is it's time to figure out, now how do I continue moving up the mountain? Right? Medius ochrus, mediocrity, middle rugged mountain. Mediocrity is to stop halfway up a rugged mountain, right? to find yourself halfway up the rugged mountain and to settle in. And My point is you're going to get to that point where you, you realize, oh, I need to adjust my strategy, I need to try something new. The question is, am I continuing to progress? Am I continuing to develop, continuing to get better, develop my skills, sharpen my mindset? Those are the most important questions to be asking, not whether I, I failed or was successful on any given thing. And the other thing that I think is important to note is, you know, there are a lot of things that I am mediocre at. You know, I am I I would be a probably not even mediocre. I would be mediocre to terrible. I, no, let's just put it this way. I would be terrible as a professional basketball player, right? right. Um, I would be terrible as an Olympic athlete. I mean, there are things I am never going to be great at, and that's fine. Sometimes mediocrity in one area can be a data point that says, hey, this is not your thing, but there's something you could absolutely be best best in class at. And so we need to pay attention to those to those cues. And I think you know, if we reply that to education, you know we all know that there are students who are just absolutely stellar in some areas and there's students who probably want to do things they're probably never going to be stellar at. And as educators, as teachers, you know, I mean probably one of the responsibilities that you feel, I would imagine Aaron, is to help kids identify what are those things where I can if I put some fuel on the fire, man, they could really be brilliant. But I see them over here struggling with this thing that they're honestly probably never going to be great at, and and if I could help them redirect their efforts into an area where they could be stellar, they're going to find passion, they're going to find um, uh, contribution, and they're they're going to discover their voice in the midst of doing that.
1: Right. Yeah, and you're spot on, and and you it's kind of a nice bridge to the next kind of question. But I look at. In education, a couple things with with mediocrity from an educator standpoint. I guess we could probably see this in people who run businesses or even as parents, where you see the potential in somebody and trying to help them understand that what they're doing is media mediocre and there's so much more that they're capable of, you know. And trying to help them understand that that self reflection piece. I look right. at it with certain kids in the classroom, or uh, you know, I I coach basketball, I do robotics, things like that, and you can see the kids, like, man, if only they could see what they're truly able to do.
2: Right, right, absolutely.
1: And that's part part of the life journey, you know, but there's that hard part because we can preach to the choir as much as we want, but until they self-realize, you know, it's, nothing will really take hold.
2: Well, I Uh, think you hit an important point there, which is journey. I mean, I think that that, you know, that's an important word or important phrase that you know life is not about reaching the peak. We're never going to reach the peak, and that's kind of the point. Um, you know life is about the journey of all of it. And so you know when uh, you know, my friend Steve Pressfield shares a story of when he, uh, I think it was in the War of Art, his book "The War of Art, he shares a story of when he finished his first novel and he went to his mentor and he showed the mentor, "Hey, look, I finished my novel," and his mentor said, "Great, start the next one today." Right. right. I mean for a lot of people it would have been, hey, I finished my novel, I'm done, great, I can rest for a while. And his mentor said, No, okay, now now it's time to start the next one. Because it's about it's about getting better, it's about growing, it's about continuing in progress in the journey of it. It's not about individual accomplishments. It's important to celebrate. Hey, yay, you know, I'm gonna go celebrate, I just finished my novel, but the next day I need to go start on the next. I mean, I'm, I'm already working on my next book project, right? Um, right? Because I know the importance of continuing to move up the mountain. If I don't, I know that the forces that lead to stagnation that I talked about in Die Empty will take hold of me. You know, It doesn't matter who you are what you do, those forces will take hold if you stay still and if you're not self-aware.
1: Right. So when, when we talk about that journey and that life destination, one of the things, too, that... That I know, I've had a lot of conversations about with educators online, whether it's Twitter or other pieces on social media. is the whole concept of failure, wow. uh, and it, and it's it's been a really interesting conversation piece, I guess, in, in recent developments in, in education, where some people firmly believe that kids need to fail in order to learn, or, or people in, in the general sense. I always say kids because that's the, the sure. word I'm in. Sure. Sure. Uh, and others say that's not, not the, you know, we shouldn't have failure or you know, you should be building upon that. Um, and you talk a little bit about failure in your book. And so I guess the question I would have is kind of what's your overall stance on the idea of, of failing or, or, or failure, um, I guess, in the journey of life kind of based off what we were just talking about?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I would argue that failure is a data point just like success is a data point on the journey. Um, failure is neither good nor bad necessarily. I think it depends on what you do with failure. You know, failure. Uh, oh, who was it? I, I forget. Maybe Harry Truman. Or something. So one of the biggest mistakes we make is that uh, success is per or failure is permanent. The other, the second biggest mistake is that we think that success is permanent, right? Neither success nor failure is a permanent thing. It's what we do with those that matter. And so some people they become successful and they think, or they experience success, they accomplish a goal and they think. Great. Now I can kick up my heels and kind of, right, you know, and in the same way, I mean, it's uh, hubris born from success. Jim Collins calls it this idea that because I've always been successful, I'll always be successful. And some people adopt failure as a permanent mark on their soul, right? Oh, I failed. I'm, I'm a failure. No, you failed. What are you going to do with that? I shared the story of Sarah Blakely in the book, um, the founder of Spanx, who growing up, her father around the, the dinner table, they would have a conversation. What did you fail at today? Right? right. Because... His, and and if she said nothing, he would say, oh, that's too bad, right? I think if you don't fail on occasion, you're not trying hard enough. You know, right. if if you're always succeeding at everything you do, then you're probably not reaching far enough. You're not trying hard enough things. I think for, uh, I mean, to put it in the context of, of kids and education again, right, Um, I think there is this kind of thing when we just reward kids for getting it right, when that's kind of the thing that we do, Um, You know, there's a tendency for kids, I mean, kids will do what they're rewarded for. So if we keep them squarely in that space where they're rewarded for what they do well all the time, then they're only going to do things that they're already good at. They're not going to try new things and experiment and go go beyond themselves. I think the same thing happens in the business workforce, you know. We reward people based on success, and so people are going to do the things. They're going to try to replicate that success over and over again because that's where the rewards are, but they're not going to stretch themselves and take risks needlessly if – they're not being rewarded for that, and so you know, was it uh, Peter Drucker said, "What gets measured gets done." Um, so I think we have to ask ourselves, what are we measuring as it relates to success and failure? You know, and if we if we really believe that we want people to stretch themselves, then we need to reward people for taking risks that could lead to failure, if there's also potential for upside on on the on the other side of that effort. Um, was it uh, General Shinseki who said? Uh, reward, punish mediocre success. Reward excellent failure. Right, and I, I think that's a that's a, a good uh, mantra to adopt as an organization.
1: Yeah, and I think I what I see too so much is we have a society that celebrates perfection or this this grandiose idea that things just you know this business or this company or this all star in whatever field just overnight became amazing and. Right we don't share enough of the journey. And if you look at any of those companies or people or athletes, it doesn't matter what how many times they failed or made mistakes. And I think it's it's more takes more people leading the way of, of sharing those ideas out of That's here's right. what I did. Here's thirty seven things that I did wrong. Here's all the rejections or here you know, whatever That's it might right. be. I think it's and I look at education as even as as, as teachers With our own kids, because that's what we we do. We do exactly what you say. We reward that perfection. Here's here's what you gotta do for an A, you know. And why stretch yourself beyond that? Tell me what I gotta do to get this grade to keep everybody happy. As opposed to, let's let's gamble. Let me explore this opportunity, and it may not go as planned, but it's not necessarily a failure. But it's not this cookie cutter approach either. And so I I always look at with teachers to also share, hey. Show the kids what, what, what was your journey in just creating a lesson plan and all yeah. the stuff you had to tweak and fix. You know, we, we just don't magically show up with this lesson plan generated. You know, so I think it's that, that openness that more people need to have be able to, to broadcast. You know, here's, here's where I ended up. I had some success, but look at all the things that I had to do to get there.
2: Yeah, I know. mean, read, read the biographies of great business leaders. Read the biographies of great educators. Read the biographies of great, you know, politicians and and statesmen, statespeople, statesmen, statespeople. Uh, you know, read read the read the read the, the biographies of people, and you'll find that they are littered with successes and failures and learning. And I mean, Harry Truman wasn't even in politics till was, what 50 years old or something. I mean, cr- something crazy like right. he was like a haberdasher or something. Yeah. I mean, you, you, not, not there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying like. Nobody could have looked at the career paths of some of these people and said, "Oh, this is obviously where they're going to end up." I mean, I, I just listened to uh, an interview um, with uh, Alec Baldwin on his podcast or his show. Here's the thing, I think it's called. Um, yep. The interview with Billy Joel, and they were talking about Billy Joel's early career. He's a singer-songwriter. For those of you who don't know, uh, <laughs> pretty pretty mammoth singer-songwriter. A few <laughs> songs, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, back in the '70s, '80s, '90s and um, they were talking about his career path, and it was funny because he was talking about, okay, I was in this band, and we were on this label, and Alec Baldwin was like, oh, well, that was your breakthrough. He's like, no, no, that wasn't my breakthrough, and then I, I, I left that band and formed another band, and we signed with another label, and we put out another record, and he's like, oh, well, that was your breakthrough. He's like, no, no, we didn't sell any records, and nobody came to our shows. He's like, and then he left, and then I, and then I went, and I got my solo act, my solo label, you know, uh, and I put out Piano Man, and blah, 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 and Alec Baldwin was like, oh, that was your breakthrough And he's like. No, no, I didn't sell any records. People look at Piano Man now and they think that was oh, a big geez. hit, but it wasn't. Like it really didn't get a lot. You know, it wasn't really a hit at all. And I, yeah. I, I didn't even know I could make a career out of it. And it was like two or three records later that he finally had his breakthrough. but well, we don't tell that story. We look back on it and we think, oh, Piano Man, breakout. You know, solo record. This guy was amazing. He's still known. You know, that's how we look at those stories. We don't look at the ups and the downs, the peaks and the troughs, the hope that went into every record that went out and the disappointment after that, when nobody showed up to shows, they didn't sell any records. Right? Um, we don't look at those things. We just look at the, the peaks, and we like to tell the stories of the of the outliers, the successes. The reality is that most of us live in the middle. Most of us are never going to be a multi-platinum-selling recording artist. Most of us are never going to be singled out for the Presidential Medal of Honor or singled out by the president as an educator, or most of us are never going to be a New York Times best-selling author, right? But we're still out like. My books have not hit the New York Times list. They haven't hit the Wall Street, you know, but, but I'm still out there in front of people trying to create difference, um, getting, out, getting, getting the message out in front of as many people as I can. Right? Would I love that? Absolutely, but so few people get to experience that. But that's not where the value is in life. It's not about trophies. It's about impact. And so many people are going for the trophy, right, but they're not cognizant of the reality, which is that most of us have to focus our lives on impact. And if the trophies come, that's fine, but it's not about the trophies, it's about the impact.
1: Right. That's spot on. You have time for one more question? I, sure. I know absolutely. we you need to get going. Okay. So, one last question here. Um, in your book, Die Empty, and also in Accidental Creative, you talk a lot about um, creating a, a journal notebook, your stimulus cue, and different ideas, and, and yeah. reflect on that. And that's something that I think has been one of my biggest takeaways um, from both materials. and, I'm developing stuff. I have we call it teacher tinker time. Where one day a week I bring teachers in and I just have them challenge them with new thoughts and ideas. And actually, coming up is uh, I'm going to have the teachers actually begin to create. I just called it a stimulus cue notebook uh, based off of your work. Since writing those books, you talk a lot about getting down quotations and listing ideas and just questions in your day. You know, the important piece of taking time to reflect on that. Over those course of two books and talking with people. Have you found key things that have been really um, maybe more of an impact than, than others, or have you tweaked your own kind of stimulus cue over, over time to find out what really kind of works or spurs your ideas um, throughout that journey? I don't know if I worded that very well. I guess I'm just yeah, looking for well, – My, um, my yeah, methods are,
2: are constantly adapting, and my, my practices are constantly adapting. And and the reason – you know, like, for example, in the accidental Creative and in Die Empty, I, mean, I gave very specific – Advice. Do this. Here's how you do it. Here's what it should look like. Because, you know, I know that if I leave things up for interpretation, and I, I say in the book too, by the way, you don't have to do this exactly like this. You can find your own way of doing it. But, you know, what people are always looking for is, um, you know, a new system, a new thing, a new, you know. And so what I wanted to encourage people to do is, look, just do this for a season, and it will help you. I, trust me, it will help you. I mean, these are all things I have practiced all at once at various points in my life and my career, right? Um, and my my methods are constantly adapting because my needs now, as you know, a, a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as an author, my needs now are different than when I was leading a team of thirty people, right? So I have different um, dynamics at play and different demands on my time, my energy, my focus. So you know, I've had to adapt that now, but what I wanted to do is create a framework for people that, that could kind of stand the test of time was kind of situation agnostic. Here are all the things that, that you, you should be thinking about doing in your life to prepare you for those moments when you need an idea. Um, so yeah, I mean now, I mean I've got my little, I use index cards. You can see my little index card holder thing. Um, I use index cards to track all my ideas. Um, index cards go in my inbox at the end of the day. I process the inbox once a day and, um, I still have my notebook that I keep. I still do, you know, mostly analog, except for my task lists and all of that, which I use OmniFocus for because I'm a GTV guy. Um, I use OmniFocus for um, uh, all my tasks and whatnot. But um, for the most part, yeah, I, I uh, I'm very analog in terms of how I keep lists and ideas and all of those things. Um, I've got, you know, you'll notice the the book I'm working on. Like I have, I have a little notation system. I have I have little hashtags I use to keep track of what project the note is for. Um, and uh, so I've got notes scattered throughout various places for this new book that I'm working on, stories I've been collecting for the last year um, that I want to put into this new book or whatnot. But, yeah, so so now I'm starting up a new project. Now I've got all of these resources I can draw from, you know, to, to use for this project.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah, and I'm, I'm finding I'm forcing myself every day I take the morning – I'm more of a morning person to take time, and that's when I do my reflection because I know right. by the end of the day, teaching and coaching and three kids, it's not going to happen. Even though right, I to right. start exactly. off, it could happen. And it's, the one piece that I was missing is I've got notepads all over, but I was never reflecting. Right. And I think that's that right. piece, and you talk about that in your book too, has been so monumental. And just to get the ideas down because now when I go back in these notebooks, I go, oh, that was such a great idea. Had I not written that that's down, right. it would have been forever lost. And it may not even be anything I could act on in that moment, but down the road, you know, just going through and flipping back to the pages going, oh, it's, it, it, you know, it's time to revisit that, that idea.
2: That's right, um, that's
1: right. And so I think there's so much in, in between the two books, Die Empty and obviously your, your first one, Accidental Creative, are, are top-notch. Um, and two of the best reads I've had, I know Accidental Creative didn't come out this year, but still um, two phenomenal books, I think, that, that apply to everybody.
2: Thank um, you so much, I appreciate
1: so, I thank you so much for your time and um, being patient working through the, the technical glitches we had the first time and then uh, being a little bit late here on this one. No worries. And so I'll let you get going because I know you probably, you've got a packed day and things to do. What I will do is I will uh, I'll clean this up, I'll splice it up, get the intros okay. and, and um, show notes and I'll send that to you before I go public just to make okay. sure everything in there that looks good, everything anything you want me to kind of add or tweak. Um, then we'll, we'll push it out and I'll send you all those links and all that good stuff.
2: Sounds great. Hey, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you so
1: much, Todd. I I greatly appreciate this more than you know.
2: Great. Thank you. And thanks for the great work you're doing. All right. Thank
1: you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: So there you have it. There's my interview with Todd Henry. I hope you found it entertaining, informational, and quite helpful. He provides very helpful tips that you can begin to apply and think about right now to get you on the path to living a life where you too will die empty. I would greatly appreciate it if you would take time to leave a review or a rating on iTunes or any other place. I would look forward to your feedback, questions, and comments about this episode, so please reach out to me. I love to connect and have some conversations about these very ideas shared in this podcast episode today. Another episode will be up in another week. And until then, I will be pushing a new journey for the students at my middle school, Benton North Middle School, where I am working very, very hard to raise the funds as I received just four days ago an invite to purchase Google Glass, which I think is really going to be a game changer, not only in education, but in for life and society in general. And if you would like to contribute and help out with that, I'd be very grateful. And I'll leave the link in the show notes as well. I'm living on the edge of chaos, striving to die empty. And I hope you will join me. Thank you for your time. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And as always, thank you and massive shout out to the author Todd Hendrix for taking time to talk with me. Have a good day, everybody.